Hello and welcome to the Android Central Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, it's all about Samsung's Galaxy Unpacked event. We have two phones. We have two watches. We have a pair of earbuds. We have some idiosyncrasies to deal with across platforms. So joining me to talk about all of these new products, R. Wagner, how are you? I'm good. It's warm, and I'm hoping that Fred doesn't come and wreck my weekend plans with my parents. But otherwise, I'm good. Fred is a Tropical hurricane. storm. Tropical storm. We don't okay. think it's going to turn a, into a hurricane. Not it doesn't a landlord. have to turn into a hurricane <laughs> to just come and dump buckets and buckets of water on Friday and Saturday when I was supposed to go to the parks with my parents. Yeah, because you haven't been to the parks recently. It's, uh, it's a I've, problem for you. I've been once you. in the last month. Mm, okay. Well, Which that's actually not bad. that much. <laughs> It's All bad right. for also me. joining us this week, Nicholas Sutrick. How are you? Great. I'm having Wi-Fi problems, so I really hope it doesn't have issues throughout the podcast. But yeah, it's okay. As long as you're recording on your end, yeah, the technology will take care of itself. We are good. And after not seeing you for a couple years, I'm glad to say that I saw in person the one, the only Michael Fisher. How are you? Welcome back. It never rains, but it pours. It's good to be back, Daniel Bader. Thank you for having me. Nick, I didn't know how to pronounce your last name until today. I'm glad I know that. Now, Ara, it is great to hear you. I haven't been to the parks in 10 years, so you're still ahead of me. Great to be here, everybody. We're all set. We're 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 all set to go uh, on an adventure. It's not a Disney-themed <laughs> adventure, although I believe, what was the price of a per-person ticket to the new um, Star Wars oh, cruise? The, yeah, for, the, for buying a stateroom, it was $5,000 for two adults and one child, and I'm just like... Uh, just, high. just a bargain. Get F. Just a bargain. You could get uh, three Galaxy Z Fold threes for that price. Yep. Ooh, that's a deal. Uh, that's my transition. So we're gonna talk about. I think we're gonna re- talk about things in. Actually, I'll leave it up to you guys. Do you want to talk about the phones first or the phones last? Oh, I say phones first. Yeah. All right. Let's let's get the phones out of the way. So yes. let's give some backstory. Nick and I. We're in New York this week to check out Samsung's new products. It was the first time I'd ever seen Nick in person in real life. Nick is, uh, has been working with Android Central for a couple of years, but he recently came on as our senior editor, as I said in a previous show. Came down, we did the roommate hotel thing, which was fun in a tiny little New York shoebox hotel. Um, we got some good food, some good coffee, and then we had our Samsung briefing. And if you watch Michael Fisher's video, you have probably already heard that we only had an hour with the products. So we did not have a long time. And in that hour, we had to do everything. We had to take photos. We had to shoot video. We actually had to use the products and learn how they work. So it was intense, but it was fun. So I think the showstopper is obviously um, the Z Fold 3. And that's the flagship of this you know, of this release cycle. But I want to start with the Z Flip 3, if only because it's the first foldable under $1,000. And I think it gives us a good starting point as to what Samsung was trying to achieve here. So Michael, I'll start with you. Great. You were using a Z Flip 5G when I saw you for dinner this week. Yes. Tell us what you thought about the, the evolution of the Flip and when you saw the Z Flip 3 
how you kind of interpreted it as an upgrade over the previous version. You know, I think the flip kind of steals the uh, <clears throat> kind of steals the year for me so far, because the if when you look at the folds, as we'll talk about in a second, you know, I think the differences are much less obvious. The flip, the flip three almost has a handicap in that it uh, it didn't have to do but one thing to solve a big problem with the existing flip, which was that tiny two pinky nails wide outer display on the Z Flip and Z Flip 5G. Um, I, I never liked it. It was never very useful. I've used both of the Z Flips for like the past year and a half, whatever. Ever since the first one came out, I've used it on weekends. And uh, it's always been frustrating. And Samsung, frankly, never released patches or did anything to improve the functionality of that outer display. So for Z Flip 3, we have a four times the size of that screen on the outside. It's still not quite as big as the Razer's, but it's big enough now where you can actually do a lot on the phone without opening it up, which is fantastic. Um, on, on the back of that, you know, you've got this much more angular design, which I must admit, I first when I first came upon it, um, it made me think of the iPhone 4 uh, or perhaps, you know, the iPhone 12, if you like. But a more Android-centric commenter on Twitter reminded me that actually it's a lot more similar to the old Galaxy Alpha. Anybody remember that? Oh, yeah. The first metal phone that Samsung released. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, the one that kind of, uh, you know, blazed a trail for the Note 4 to follow with its lovely metal frame. And that's what this reminds me of. I mean, I'm holding it now, and it's, I, I, am, I am quite taken with it. Um, and, of course, you get all the spec bumps that we expect, the Snapdragon 888 in this market, the, you know, uh, however much, I think it's got, Eight gigs of RAM, yeah, it's or eight, something like that. Yeah, um, and uh, the more importantly, the IPX8 water resistance, which we'll talk about, and, and all that kind of stuff. But really, they just had to solve that outer display problem, and they had to give people what they wanted, which was water resistance, uh, a stronger screen, and a price point that is, as you say, Daniel, uh, just I mean, historic for foldables. Nine ninety nine to start. It's it felt great pushing that buy button today. And knowing that that's where we are, because it's it's the same price as you can get an S twenty one Ultra for right now, um, which if you know if you want cameras, you should get the Ultra. But otherwise, that's pretty exciting. Or if you want beach, or if you, you want you to go to the, the beach, Ultra. yeah, you should still keep it out of the water though. So let, let's talk about that thousand dollar price point. I remember with the Note nine, that was the big deal, right? Everybody, this is kind of the opposite direction. Everybody was saying, okay, we reached that thousand dollar price point. Uh, but it was worth it. It was worth it because the Note 9 was a big upgrade over its predecessor, over a lot of other flagships. The Z Folds um, debuted over $2,000. The Z Flip was around $1,500. This shaves, you know, 33-odd percent off the price. It gets it down to that $1,000 price point. Um, you mentioned in your video, they really do nothing with the cameras. This was a year yeah. of real just sideways upgrades in a lot of ways, right? The things that they could update uh, in terms of just a regular release cycle of technology they did, but nothing, there was no investment really in new technology here, um, except for the screen, which we'll talk about. But that $1,000 price point is important. How do you think it will translate to sales overall? You know, I think it's a little tough to say. I feel like the Z Flip certainly has a lot more splash on it this year as a result of that of that price point. Um, people are still 
it's it's very tough to measure what actual buyers think, right? Because if you think of all of us um, and the way we interpret consumer sentiment, it's through these really specialized lenses. Like the Twitter crowd has its own attitudes. The uh, comment section of a website or the comment section of a YouTube, it's the same, you know, has different attitudes. Reddit certainly has its own attitude entirely. So like there's uh, I think there's a lot more skepticism in the nerd circles, the the fellow geeks that kind of respond to us than there is out in public. I have said this before, but I live in Brooklyn. Um, despite the fact that I'm a nerd, I live in the coolest place in the United States. You know, it's it's very hip here. And yet, um, even among all these jaded people who are much cooler than I am, I cannot take out the flip without someone asking, oh, my God, oh, is that? Well, first they ask, is that the new Razor? And I say, no, no, good, good job, Motorola, on that mind share there. That's good. Well, money well spent. But uh, no, it's the new Samsung. And they're like, and they're very buoyed by it. They're very excited by it. No one has said, has followed that up by saying, mm, yeah, but it does, it kind of, it doesn't look cool. It's not you don't really like it, do you? Like everyone loves it. Everyone's curious. Everyone's excited. So I think at nine ninety nine, when you have a choice between this and like whatever the S22 plus is going to be, I think this has, has a chance of moving a lot of units. I agree. Yeah. I, I, the flip is the one that I would buy. I like the fold is just too much for me. It will not fit in my pockets. It won't even fit in my holster. I'm willing to bet. But the mm-hmm. flip means that I could actually ditch my holster for the first time in five years and actually put my phone in my front pocket again. Like, I haven't been able to do that in years. It's so liberating. You will absolutely love it. I mean, that's that's why I've been carrying these clamshells on the weekends. It it is, it's not just a throwback to 2005, even though that's a huge part of it for me. It's more convenient if you are out in the summer, you don't have a lot of layers, you don't have a lot of pockets, or your pockets are small. It's genuinely useful. And these, uh, this category doesn't get enough credit for that. Yeah. All right, so staying with the flip for a second, let's address the major display update. Internally now, there's a 120 hertz display, but I think more important is the brightness. You mentioned yes. this also in your video. The The screen is bright enough now that you can use it outside, which is something I did notice in the hot summer sun uh, when I did use the Z Flip 3, or the Z Flip 5G. It just does not get bright enough. It's very clearly a first generation folding folding OLED panel. Um, does this address, along with the outer, the larger outer display, does this address the primary use case issues for you, Michael? Uh, yeah, that brightness thing was the, the biggest complaint I had. Also, we have a new protector on top, which solves another one of the complaints I had about the, um, I guess the second generation of foldables. You know, several of them came from the factory with this TPU protector applied, which I mean, if you even if you didn't wash your hands every time you touched it, it became this giant swath of pizza sauce on top of the it's screen. Uh, it was absolutely nasty. And it felt gross, too. And I think um, as we were talking about over dinner, um, Nicholas included, we uh, the, these feel so much closer to glass that I mean, it's it's. It is a better feeling all the way around. And apparently the um, the result is an 80% increase in strength. But I, that's a very confusing thing that Samsung led us through. And I still don't fully understand it, despite like three follow-ups in terms of the strength of this display. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there, there's something to be said about that. Um, this is a PET cover, polyethylene 
uh, something or other. Yeah, wa- watch Alex's video for a proper pronunciation. But he also pronounces <laughs> aluminum aluminium, so you really can't trust anything he says. No, but he didn't um, say it. That's the point. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. But polyethylene terephthalate. I, I polyethylene really should tetrafluorite. Have. That's not what it's spelled like here. But anyway, it's chemistry was not my my uh, best subject. So let's just address this, right? This is a cover, a plastic cover on top of the ultra-thin glass that is still there, right? There's no drastic uh, improvement to the ultra-thin glass substrate itself that bends every time. Right. Yeah, I asked about that in um, an interview. I was uh, privileged enough to have with some Samsung engineers, and it is the same material as last year. The same ultra thin glass. There are a dozen layers on this display. Specifically, the ultra thin glass itself. I was told is the same as last year. Right. So we don't know if long term durability will be improved, but the the cover which is really the thing that I found to be the the biggest usability improvement between the second and third gen is significantly nicer to use. So this PET, uh, it's, it's a little thicker, but it feels like glass. It does not pick up and, and, and sustain fingerprints or the muckiness that you get from depo- like oil deposits. Yep. as much as the TPU cover of the previous folding generations. Uh, it's also S Pen friendly, which we can talk about a little bit later with the Z Fold 3. But I do think that if anybody, and there are f- going to be few people that upgrade, except for like us, that upgrade from the first and second gen Galaxy Folds or Flips to this generation, they'll notice a major difference. But if you're coming into foldables for the first time, and Samsung hopes that there will be a lot of them because of these lower prices, they're going to think that this is glass for all intents and purposes, or at least a nice facsimile. Yeah, and I do want to say, like, there's so much to love about these things. If there's something I'm worried about, it is the repetition of a problem I noticed on the earlier generation, which is, like, the Fold 2 and Flip 5G and First Flip, like... Those screens, if you go to Reddit, you know, r slash Galaxy Fold and r slash Android even, you will see a fair number of users saying, I woke up one day, I opened it up, and it just cracked. Like, it appeared for all the world to be fatigue cracking. That happened to my Fold too. I documented that on a video. Um, and, and that's concerning because Samsung, every time I talk to Samsung about this generation, they wanted to talk about their armor aluminum which is a 10% stronger frame on these things. And they wanted to talk about the PET layer, but I think it took me several follow-ups to get them to actually admit that the ultra-thin glass was the same material. And they didn't seem to want to talk about any other part of the display. So I got to say, it raises an alarm bell in my mind. I really hope that in seven or eight months, we're not starting to see the same cracking issue. But that's why... um, well, that's why we some of us get long-term review units, not me. That's why I bought two of them today. So we will see. Stay tuned. I was going to say, maybe the PET layer will play into that, you know, extra durability over time. I hope so. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely hope so. Uh, before we move on to the full three, I just want to talk to you, Ara, about these accessories. So this is a very accessory-heavy lineup for the Flip 3. We don't usually talk tons about accessories on the podcast, but I, I think it's worth mentioning because... 
they're kind of they're sort of along with the seven colors that you can get. Some of them are Samsung.com exclusive, but there are seven colors to choose from with this generation. There's a lot of first party accessories, a lot of fun cases and stuff, and like holders <laughs> and cases that have built in, uh, you know, uh, pop sockets for all intents and purposes. And I think that is really something Samsung is trying to um, get across here is that this is a lifestyle product. And I think with the accessory line, they're doing a better job than Motorola ever did with the Razer 5G. Yeah, I mean, but first, let's take a moment to talk about the fact that Samsung is making the Galaxy Z Flip 3 in seven colors. Like, usually we're lucky if we get four for a normal smartphone. Seven seems a bit much unless you are absolutely positive that this phone is going to sell in large numbers. But um, yeah, the accessories have been interesting to look at. I love the one that has what looks like a seatbelt on the back of it because that's a... um, There are two types of phone grips. There are ones that like the ringer and the uh, the ring grips and the pop sockets where it's like, okay, I push, put two fingers specifically here and that holds the phone in place. With the stra- With a wider strap like that, you can... Have it to be like, okay, I have two fingers in or two fingers out. I can put all of my fingers through it. Just whatever feels comfortable. It's a little Is bit that more adaptable. Yeah. I didn't know that's what that was for. I thought the strap was just to like hang it from your belt. So you, you no. stick fingers through it between the strap and the phone and the phone sticks to your hand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was in the lifestyle pictures for the cases that they sent out that nah, they had somebody showing that. And I was just like, oh, yes, I remember those. That's good. So, yeah, because it's kind of like um, the moft phone grip if you've used that before. Um, um, Mofta makes a lot of cool stuff. I haven't used that grip, no. Okay. But yeah, so I like the strap one. The one with the ring is also, uh, the one with a, it, I, the one thing I hate about these cases is that Samsung named them the exact same thing. They're both the Samsung silicone cover with strap. And I'm like, okay, these are two <laughs> drastically different styles. They need different names. With strap. That's, that's the, I mean, that's the Samsung naming problem right like (laughs) we'll talk about this later but there's no galaxy watch active 3 there's no galaxy watch uh 4 that's a that has a rotating bezel it's it's just very bad they're not great at naming things yeah so this is not surprising uh s pen four fold uh, S Pen, oh, S Pen for Pro, fold. yeah, yeah. Come on. Well, S Pen <laughs> Pro, we heard back at the Galaxy S Twenty One Ultra launch, and I'm just like, I'm wondering why the heck it took so long for the Pro Pen to get out here. Can I ask before we get to, the, for this. to that to that monster? I just want to know because Era, you mentioned seven colors here, and I was so excited to first hear that, and then I looked at what the colors actually were. Oh yeah, half of them are terrible. These are bad colors, y'all. Oh yeah, no, I we don't. Got- we got three <laughs> decent colors, and then we got a bunch of what were y'all thinking? Especially I have since a all the bunch. Samsung, yeah, especially since all the Samsung.com colors, they all have a black frame, and then just whatever color on the two panels on the back yeah. of the phone. So that's I'm like, okay, of, the only one of those with. that looks cool is the white because it turns into kind of like a panda or a stormtrooper phone. Panda Pixel, I almost got that one, but the, but well, here's the other problem: half the colors are glossy too. So you get one of these glossy phones like it's three years ago and all the fingerprints you've saved from getting the new screen protector on the inside, well, they just transfer to the outside because now it's a fingerprint magnet of a phone. Like, I don't, I do not like the aesthetic choice that Samsung made this year, but that's subjective. I know maybe, maybe some of y'all have different opinions about colors. I mean, it's also one of those things of 
Samsung also made a ton of cases for this knowing, yeah, no, nobody's going to use this phone naked. Mm, I don't know. They made it's a clear so case portable with this- and pretty. It is. They made a clear case a with the strap for a reason. They're like, okay, even if you want clear case, we know you're going to want protection and functionality. Hmm. Okay, so Z Fold, Z Flip 3 is coming August 27th. It's $9.99. Uh, it's got kind of a mixed bag of specs, as we mentioned. It has a Snapdragon 888, has 8 gigs of RAM, 128 or 256 gigs of storage. It really has like a much better display and that's really the 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 showstopper here along with that out outer display that's four times larger where you can choose various widgets it's not like you can use android it's more like a lock screen widget that you know you can you can cycle between well it's that edge display from the previous models just in a way that actually makes sense i guess so yeah it's It's, a bit like a smartwatch uh, welded to the cover Sure. That's yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yes, it is. Uh, the cameras are pretty much unchanged, but there's IPX8 water and du- water. I, I'm always saying water <laughs> and dust resistance. No dust <laughs> resistance, just water resistance. So you're getting a lot of bang for your 9.99 here, and uh, I, I mean, along with three of the seven colors, I think that's that's pretty compelling. So that's the Z Flip Three. Let's talk about the Fold Three. Um, Nick, you have one in hand. Yes. You've, you had a chance to use one in New York. You have the Fold 2 alongside it. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of go through the high-level changes between the 2 and the 3. All right. So um, I think something I didn't mention very much in our hands-on was uh, just, I guess, sort of the size difference. Um, you know, dimensions-wise, it's relatively similar. But when you're folding them... Um, I noticed now that I have both of them side by side, there's a pretty clear distinction between the newer one and the older one. Like the newer one folds a little flatter. The hinge is not doesn't protrude quite as much. You know, each, I guess we'll call it half of this is a little bit thinner. Like it's just it's just a more elegant device. Um, and I know uh, you were talking about the edges, how the edges were a little straighter. Um, the matte colors, uh, I think to what Michael was saying is, better at resisting fingerprints or at the very least not showing them Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's that's a big plus a lot of the other hardware enhancements are sort of similar to the flip right you have almost identical camera setup the one difference is the inner camera which is now a four megapixel instead of a 10 megapixel camera but it's got much larger pixels which you know might help the low light performance but at least in the few pictures i took it's uh not the best camera in the entire world (laughs) i mean that's some hdc1 m8 like positive thinking there which i appreciate but it's not true (laughs) it's it's not gonna happen like i said the the few pictures i have now taken with this are not fantastic uh yeah so i don't know i wouldn't really use it normally right before we came on the air, I did a little <laughs> comparison between the Fold 2 and the Fold 3. and the. Uh, I, uh. Now, uh, there, there are some different settings on the camera viewfinder, so they're obviously working with slightly different software, but I do not right. think it's going to make much of a difference. Yeah, I, I think the, the camera software settings seem to be more, um, you know, maybe usage choices. So like when you take pictures now, there's a little gallery that pops up right on the left side so you can immediately preview your stuff, which reminds me a lot of what LG used to do in their camera software Mm. where they had this like little 
you know, gallery off to the side or off to the bottom or whatever, which I, I like a lot because, you know, having that tiny little thumbnail on most of these camera UIs can be annoying depending on what you're taking a picture of. So uh, similarly, the multitasking, I hate to get off track here because we're supposed to talk hardware, but whatever. Um, <laughs> there's also that idea with multitasking where they have this dedicated tray on the right side of the larger screen that works maybe sort of like, uh, you know, like you would have on a Windows or Mac or Chrome OS where you have that dedicated bar that you have your most used apps pinned there. So you don't have to constantly go home, which seems really cool. I, you know, when I use it for more than three hours, I'll tell you. But that's, that's <laughs> thank you for reminding me to set that up because I, right. I love that idea. It's it's definitely a positive thing. Like I like these little changes and I feel like that's is sort of the message behind this. Like really what we got last year was awesome. It, it was such a massive improvement over the previous year. They really only had to to fix a few little things here and there. And, and while they didn't fix everything, obviously, like we said with the cameras, it's still the same camera setup as last year, essentially. A, a lot of the aesthetics are just better. The waterproofing is really a huge deal because, you know, I wouldn't want to drop an $1,800 phone in a puddle and it'd be dead. That would really uh, <laughs> put, put quite a damper on my month or longer. <laughs> I, I mean, just, just in general, the, these are positive improvements. And I also saw somebody um, posted a picture side by side of videos where you're looking at full screen videos on the two versus the three, and it takes up more of the frame on the three. I'm not sure which software works better on that, but um, they That's also interesting. Aren't they the same aspect ratio or are they, they not? Yeah, because I held them together and I'm like, I can't really tell the difference visually without measuring the bezels. They're, they're pretty similar on the inside. So Samsung also added a new labs feature where you can now force aspect ratios. So uh, whereas before, maybe like Netflix or something just didn't like being put in a smaller window, you can do that now. And I think that probably is more of what, you know, fixes this other video aspect ratio thing versus, you know, maybe some hardware changes or whatever that they did. But it's, it's, this is definitely a refined phone versus a, you know, revolutionary phone. Yeah. I think the other big improvement here you mentioned the dimensions are slightly different but it's a, a little bit lighter it's 11 grams lighter and that does it doesn't sound like a lot when you're going from 282 to 271 grams but it does feel significantly more usable and as you get a feel for how to you know use a fold on a day-to-day -day basis there's going to be instances where you're holding it in one hand, a lot of book reading, right? I, I, I tended to use that with the Kindle app or the Always. Libby app. And having that extra 11 grams is going to mean it'll be less fatiguing over time. And you may not have to support your arm as much, right? Like if you're in line at a grocery store, those kinds of experiences are very subtle and may not be conscious, but they do add up to a more a more mainstream experience. These are, this is getting closer to a weight, even though we're not even close to it, but closer to a weight that a, an iPhone or a galaxy S user might expect. Right. And I, there are also two actual hardware improvements on the inside, or I guess one seems to be questionable for some people, but that front facing camera on the inside is sort of an under display camera. It's, it's not quite the same as Vivo is doing it, but uh, 
I personally think it's a considerable improvement. Run that one by me again. I'm sorry. The the sort of under display camera. The so the inside camera, right? You have yeah. It's got the pixels over top of it, but it's not like the full screen. So the way Vivo is doing it, you you really. I mean, I haven't seen that one in person, but based on what I've seen in pictures and videos, you really can't see the camera. Whereas this is sort of a smattering of pixels, right? That uh, takes a color from around it and tries to blend it in. So yeah. it, it doesn't, <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe without seeing it, but it's, I like Alex's description of it being a mosquito screen versus a hole punch. <laughs> That's a very good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can tell it's there, especially on white backgrounds, but like I pulled up uh, an app earlier that used a red, you know, title bar at the top. And I mean, unless I'm really looking for it, I can't see it at all. Yeah, I tend to use uh, like a lot of rainbows, a lot of spectrums, a lot of um, kind of busy wallpapers that have a little like Gaussian blur on top of them. And this does a fine job of hiding itself in on those kind of wallpapers. And then, you know, when you're firing up a gallery or you're browsing in a browser or something like that, like if you're not looking for it, you will not see it. I mean, it achieves its purpose in that regard. Yes. And I mean, it's in it's in your peripheral anyway. But it also needs to take good pictures. And so far, the sample pictures I've seen from that under camera display make it very prone to like light halos. And I'm wondering how well that under camera display is going to work for like selfies or anything. Yeah, well, I so I tried it with with a selfie right before we got on the air here. And, uh, you know, it's not it's 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 not a, nearly as good as it was on the fold, too. Um and I'm sorry because I've <laughs> this is this is very strange. I've been talking on the internet a lot today, and I can't remember if I told you guys this ten minutes ago, or I told a bunch of people on Twitter this while you guys were talking. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the we talked Nick. We talked about the settings being different. Sorry, between the fold two and the fold three, and like the qualities of the pictures like diminishing and like. Samsung's strategy for this? Like, did we talk about how that makes sense on paper, but not really in practice? No. Like, why they decided to compromise on this camera? Okay. Their whole their whole thing is, like, we uh, found from our user data that if people are going to take selfies, they're going to use the main array to do it, or they're going to use the cover display on the outside. Uh, most of the time, people used the inner camera. They were using it for duo. They are using it for video calls. And fine. But, like... I used the Fold 2 for a year, and flex mode is great for taking selfies and even selfie video on the inner camera because it's the only way you can see what you're doing. Right. And, and so now that it's just a webcam for video calls, effectively, it's I, I don't think it was a good idea. I, I just... I guess if you're using flex mode, you could technically reverse it, right? So instead of having the inside of the display facing you, you could have the smaller front display facing you, which uses the same camera as last year's right. inner display. True, but you can't, uh, unless I'm mistaken, and please tell me I'm mistaken, but like that's kind of a hack, right? You can't toggle the outer display to stay on at any angle. I believe here, I'm going to check right now for you because I thought they okay. said something about uh, being able to swap displays while you're doing this. I mean, that would be really rad. Yeah, I swore they said that. Keep talking about something else while I figure that out. <laughs> no, but look, I, I, I do think it's worth taking the 10,000 foot view here and trying to understand whether 
Samsung decided that it needed it needed a solution to a problem that didn't exist, and therefore made the decision early on in the development to cover or try to cover up the in-display, the hole punch camera in, inside the display, and then realized the technology hadn't caught up yet. And if that was the case, maybe they got too far along in the development to to go back on it. And they just had to go with the technology that was available to, you know, 2021. The other option is they saw what Huawei did with the Mate X2, which does not have an inside camera at all, and said, okay, that looks better objectively. We want to try to get there without sacrificing usability. So we're just going to do the best we can to obscure the camera from view and hope that the brain does the rest of the work. And as Michael mentioned, the brain does a pretty good job mm-hmm. occluding the camera when you you can kind of see the picture, the pixels, because it, there are only a handful of them that are layered on top of the screen, uh, of the camera, right? There, you can see the individual pixels. Yes. It's not very difficult to do that. But your brain does a fairly good job, kind of like, when we saw hole punch cameras debut on phones in the first place, that was the most distracting thing in the world until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I do think that after a couple of days or maybe weeks of using this phone, the camera will not be a problem, as in it won't be a distraction. But as Michael said, it's probably not worth the trade-off in camera quality, in actual output. And I'd imagine most Fold 3 owners would prefer that 10 megapixel camera without this pixel layer on top of it. So I've seen a lot of opinions on the internet today, but most people are saying that Samsung made objectively the wrong decision here. But you know what's interesting? If you're you're right to take the 10,000 foot view from an exterior perspective, but if I'm Samsung, I probably would have made the same call. And I think here's why. Like this year was obviously about keeping the price down and getting more people to adopt foldables. It wasn't necessarily about getting Fold 2 people to jump to the Fold 3 because there's, spoiler alert, I don't think there's any real reason to do that unless you're going to drop it in a lot of toilets or whatever, or, or you really need the S Pen. <laughs> a lot of toilets. More than one <laughs> The S Pen, I toilet. think, is, is the only yeah. real thing that you yeah. would go for. So I think, like, given that, I think Samsung probably was like, look, we can't, you know, we want this tech, we want to roll this tech out to future foldables. We know it's not quite ready yet, but you know what? When we look at it, dude, even after a half a day, I, I don't see that camera unless I'm looking for it. And it's it's definitely good enough, capital G, capital E, to start with. And it's good enough that someone who's the target customer looking to buy of his his or her first or their first folding, large-scale folding format phone will live with it because the price is lower and the thing is more capable than the last gen. And on the Fold 4, you know, they'll be like, yep, we heard you last year. Uh, this year, don't worry, we got a 64 megapixel shooter under there and you'll never be able to tell it's there. Like, right. if I'm Samsung, I'd probably do the same thing. So I want to clarify that it's it's inconvenient for me. But if they're telling the truth and they're saying that their user data indicates that not a lot of people use their phone like me, which, hey, makes sense. I'm a vlogger, right? I have a specialized use case. Then, hey, maybe it maybe it works out. Yeah, I mean, OnePlus says that it has data that a lot of people use Zen mode. So I, I really don't believe what manufacturers say about their data. Fair point. Fair point. That's, that's um, fair. Now, now to follow I, I just, up, I was going to say to follow up on the cover camera thing, you can preview 
the rear main cameras on the cover yeah. view and have it open, you know, and then you just use your hand and take a picture or whatever. But right. That's, but you can't I, like position I can't it like flex mode that are letting me swap between them and flex mode. <laughs> yeah. The, the beauty of flex mode is that you just sit it there. You know yeah. how scratched up the cover of my fold two is, is because I put it on like sidewalks and fire plugs and windowsills and stuff. And I just set it up <laughs> and I shoot myself. Um, it's handy. It's handy. These things are great. This is my favorite day of the year. Go ahead. Sorry. I love it. No, I, I just, I think that even if you remove the previous owner conversation, Samsung made the wrong decision. Hmm. I think it could have gone with a smaller hole punch that had a, that was just a better quality sensor, right? Yeah. They could have, yeah. they, they could have just found a smaller display, uh, a smaller sensor and had a smaller cutout, and it wouldn't have been as distracting as this solution. I think this is an over-engineered solution that looks good on paper and not as good in practice. It looks good on paper. It doesn't look good for photos. Right. And, <laughs> yes, and my question it. about the sensor usage, you know, if throw away the pixels over the camera thing. If you're looking at the sensor itself, why not keep the same sensor? Because it's the same sensor that's on the front. It's the same sensor that's on the flip. You would think get more of these sensors and it drops the price maybe even more who knows but may i wonder if that was more affected negatively by this pixel arrangement well i i don't think it was yeah i think it's a matter of what is the how is the sensor going to respond to um an obstruction like pixels in front of it is it you know the pixels can only be so transparent and maybe it was a matter of the pixels on the sensor need to be large enough that they can get in as much light as possible when there is an obstruction like like there is on the fold 3's inner display right, right. the and and as a result the one one micron pixels from the 10 megapixel sensor that was in the fold 2 were just probably not able to pull in enough light on a per pixel basis mm. and that's why they needed to go the lower resolution sensor that was the same size, but had larger individual pixels. That's my theory, but I, I think that's right. I think that makes more sense than whatever I've come up with. So bravo. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So quickly, let's talk about the S Pen. So uh, if you haven't seen this article over at The Verge, Dieter Bone got a kind of in-depth look at how the additions to this year's foldables were made. And one thing that's really interesting is that the Wacom digitizer was not folding, is not folding on this thing. It's actually two separate digitizers that um, have a tiny gap in the middle where the hinge is and that an algorithm determines when you are in the direct center of the phone screen and it fills in the blanks in a, very quickly so that you'll never know. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, it's a very interesting solution. I mean, you talk about over-engineering. This is the kind of over-engineering that if it's done properly, you can't see it. So, Michael, you got to use the S-Pens, both S-Pens that are compatible with this. What was your impression of, in a noteless year, how an S-Pen on the Fold 3 kind of makes up for it? I can answer that question despite the fact that I um, did not get to use the S-Pens. I was too busy sweating to get all the footage that I needed to get inside an hour. Um, but I will say that it makes me a little sad the S-Pen is not included with the phone. 
it makes me very sad that they couldn't fit a silo in because to me that was what made the note. You know, like the note wasn't what <sighs> part of the charm was that you didn't need to find a way to weave this extra accessory into your life. It was a part of the phone that came out. And when you were done, it became part of the phone again. There are some creative cases that store the smaller of the two S pens that are available this year for the fold. But I think you really only need to look as far as the reviews program, or at least my little part of the reviews program to, to see that these are very much accessories you know, we did not get seated S Pen units here. We we were just right before I got on the call, David Kogan, Jaime Rivera, and I were buying them because we think we can probably get retail versions faster than we get review units. Um, and that's a shame because we, a lot of people are going to miss the Note. It's the first time in 10 years we haven't had a Galaxy Note. Um, and the S Pen is a great match for the giant canvas of something like the Fold 3. But when you have to buy it separately and buy a case to hold it, and not the best case either because it's got this extra, like, flap that goes over the cover. This just makes it this very complicated thing. Um, it, yeah, it, it, feels like a, it feels like a half measure, one that is probably based on actual valid user data, which says that, well, not a lot of, there weren't a lot of Note users who even remembered the pen was there after a few weeks. But all the same... Um, I wish it was less of an afterthought. I wish it was integrated. And I'm hoping against hope that maybe if the Fold 4 generation rolls around, maybe we get a Pro Edition where there's a little more space in the hinge because the thing's a big honker and uh, and you can slide the S Pen right into the hinge there. But I know y'all got to use the S Pens because there was some beautiful footage from you yes. using those little retractable points. And Yeah, yeah so I'm gonna, I'll talk to, yeah. to Nick then because I... Please. I, I, I assumed that you had some time with it. But Nick, you, you wrote, I filmed you writing on the on the screen. So what was your impression of it? So coming from somebody who loves the note, like I had the first note, I had several mm -hmm. other ones. I love that line of phones and I love the S Pen. I agree with Michael about not having the pen in the body. That is, gosh, it's such a shame. But the way they implemented this on the screen is absolutely brilliant. Like, I was genuinely surprised when you told me there were not like, like it was not a single Wacom digitizer that it was two because I'm looking back at my photos and I wrote right in the middle of both of those screens and it came through perfectly. Really? Yeah, there's no I don't see any break. I didn't feel any any difference either writing on it and, and the 120 hertz, you know, that's it's phenomenal writing on that. The PET cover feels the same that I remember the last time I used a note. Like it just, it feels great writing on it. You know, it's never quite like writing on paper. It doesn't have that friction, but that was never the case with the entire note line anyway. But I think one of the cooler things about the new S Pen is that retractable tip, which I know we were just in awe over. You press it and you, you really have to press it pretty hard for that tip to retract. I was wondering that because yes. there's a great clip I was using of from y'all's footage pile and like it looked kind of effortless. It looked like the tip would go in um, with with very little pressure applied. But really, you really have to lean on it. Yeah, maybe Nick disappeared. again. I, yeah, sorry. It, it's it's terrible today. My bad. <laughs> it, so we had to take that several times, actually, because I had to put so much pressure on it. My my fingers would slip a little bit. Wow. Interesting. So it it so, is a pretty substantial, like I was really almost worried that I would break that ultra thin glass, you know, because it's ultra thin, <laughs> but 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why I was wondering before about whether or not this PET protector uh, will enhance long-term durability. Because if we're able to write on it with an S Pen, you're not scratching that surface at all, which, you know, is a huge change from the previous material. And then, of course, oh, you're not breaking. Change. Yeah, you're not breaking the glass. Like, these are two huge things that they needed to fix. And it, it yeah. seems like they did. Yeah, I, there are definite thumbnail indentations on my Flip 5G, um, which I removed the UTG uh, cover from. So, like, I, I really am very happy to hear that about the S Pen. And also, I love the technological um, achievement, they, well, uh, innovation they displayed by disallowing the use of earlier S Pens on the Fold 3 because they use a different frequency. So, like, the air, the air, the stuff doesn't work. I think that's right. very clever because, yeah, you don't want somebody picking up an old S Pen for cheap and then blasting a hole in the display. <laughs> right. Yeah. And even I think that is the right the, the right move here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So It'll be interesting to see how the, the Bluetooth component works if they do anything different with that, because they didn't have that app installed on our hands on uh, folds. So, you know, you try to turn it to that and it doesn't have an idea what to do. But I thought it was mm. cool because when you flip the switch to regular S Pen mode versus Z Fold mode and try to write, the phone tells you, hey, you need to flip the switch. It's in the wrong mode. Hmm. So they, they, they cleverly designed this. So they're, on the one hand, sure, it's clever in the sense that it will work on any note with, um, without Bluetooth uh, enabled. And then when you switch it over to the, to the Fold mode it'll work on the fold with bluetooth however the fact that you need to flip a switch every time or i just find that clunky i don't understand if why there was not a more intuitive solution to this but maybe i'm wrong maybe they're expecting um galaxy tab owners to buy an s pen pro and then occasionally use it with their note with their fold like yeah, that's the d- dual use case here that they're expecting because who has a note as well as a fold? Like I, I just don't see that being a common use case here. So I think it's a tab decision more than anything else. Hmm. That's fair. They're really hoping that people are going to buy their new tabs. Let's Let's just leave it at that. So let's round up the fold stuff. Um, Michael, your overall impression of this year's upgrade, you use the word iterative a lot in your video. A little bit. We use the word iterative a lot lot in our hands-on. And yet a number of small improvements leads me to think that this really is the mainstream fold that we've been hoping for for three years. Do you agree with that? I do with a with a little caveat. I will say that when the Fold 2 came out last year, I don't think this made it into any of the content that I produced, but it it came up a lot in conversations where I kept using the Fold 2 and I kept thinking, you know, this might be the Note 9 of foldables if I can use a really esoteric and geeky uh, example because it seems to me like the Note 9 has this very long staying power with with Samsung fans. It's like, you know, this did everything right. I didn't I didn't feel the need to upgrade at all after this and it was it's a tank. It's great. And I think the Fold 2 is going to be that for a lot of people. So again, I don't think the Fold 3 was designed just to, to get Fold 2 owners to upgrade um, unless that fatigue cracking problem is a lot bigger than I thought. Whatever. We'll 
come to it when we get there. But I think the Fold 3 is doing is going to do the job it needs, which is to make this form factor a little more accessible. It's a little more palatable at $17.99. Um, but I, I tend to think that it won't be until next year, maybe, if Samsung decides to bifurcate the large format foldable market into a pro and a light version or a pro and a fan edition, that this format will really take off. I think the Fold 3 is, a, is an iterative improvement. I think the Flip is what's really going to capture a lot more overall foldable market share this year. But we'll see if I'm right about that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, just rounding out the the thoughts on here, Snapdragon 888, 12 gigs of RAM, 256 or 512 gigs of storage, which is great. Starts at 256. Cameras unchanged over last year, except for the internal one that we've talked about at length. So again, if you've watched Michael's video, you know you can capture some great photos on here, but you capture as many duds and yeah. that's unfortunate. Uh, I really hoped for a primary camera upgrade at least same because, you know, Samsung has proven that it, that it can do a lot uh, with its primary cameras, a slightly smaller battery. We have a 4,400 milliamp hour battery over last year's 4,500. That probably has to do with just reducing weight and thickness. And that was a goal here. But as we know, the Snapdragon 888 is not super efficient. So I would not expect this to last longer per charge than the Fold 2. Again, not a lot of people are going to come from the Fold 2, but this is a maybe a whole day phone, not even. It's a concern and I've been using the Fold too. 2. Yeah, that's a concern of mine too, man. Like the, you've got 120 hertz display on the outside of the Fold 2 now, 120 hertz display on the Flip as well. Yeah. Um, brighter it, it, displays. Right, brighter right. displays. The AAA, as you say, not not very efficient. So I, I would expect battery life to go down this generation, if anything, which is which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, I, I would too. And it starts at $1,800, which is, uh, I believe, $100 less than last year. So that's cool. 200, it also comes, 200 less than last year. Oh, is it 200? Sorry, yep. my bad. I, I was thinking Canadian dollars. So my, my, <laughs> my fault there. Um, there's a new addition to the colorways. There's a green color version this year. That's beautiful. I really, really like that one. And um, finally, Samsung is giving a lot of money for trade-in. So if you're trading in an older phone, uh, you'll get like up to eight, 800, 900 bucks for some of these phones, I think. I got like um, a so, thousand off of mine. I traded in four old phones and got like a thousand dollars off. Oh, you can stack them in the US? You absolutely can. Oh, so jealous. And yeah, T-Mobile was awesome. doing some crazy deal too. I saw what Shaka was talking about. Yeah, yeah. But if you're if you're going to buy a T-Mobile phone, you want to buy that new dual screen OnePlus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Good um, job. And then finally, I just want to mention what comes in the box, which is not a whole lot. So you don't get a charging brick in the in the box this year. But if if you compare the first gen Fold, which came with like a case and a beautiful almost like a jewelry box like opening experience you get your you get your card with like the Samsung Care Plus we're going to take care of you you're so valued we we really love you this is like a cardboard box with a phone and a USB-C cable and that is it <laughs> it's you very underwhelming very yeah it's it's wild the great democratization yeah this box almost felt like 
the review unit box that they might remember to put a phone in with some packaging material so it doesn't break. <laughs> right. That's actually what I thought I got. You're lucky you get I thought a SIM tool. Like an right. OEM box. You got I a got. couple of those lying around, right? Go find one. Yeah. Yeah, I that that is a bummer. And also I don't I can't speak to it knowledgeably, but I know there are significant differences in Samsung Care Plus versus Z Premier service. So Samsung is still giving perks in the Z Premier program to people who buy the foldables like those, you know, desserts and stupid gifts and all that kind of stuff. But the service is being transferred if you need it, um, like a warranty replacement or out of warranty replacement is being transferred to Samsung Care Plus, which they're giving you a year for free up front. But after that, it's something like 12 bucks a month and you got to meet a deductible and stuff. It seems um, not quite as good. Right. But and, I have to do more research there. Go ahead, Nick. Sorry. Yeah. And leading up to this launch, right, uh, we had a little Q&A session with them. And I don't remember who asked it, if it was one of us or somebody else. But somebody asked, you know, what did you do to get the price down? Is this, you know, more components being ordered? Is this optimizations, whatever? And th- one of the answers, really, the main answer was that they optimize things. And now I understand what that means. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a little, like you're going to accidentally rub this thing against the corner of a table and like a layer of paint is going to come off. (laughs) It's like uh, when AT&T optimized WarnerMedia. Ah. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I feel like... I feel like there's we could go further down that rabbit hole, but let's not. Yeah, probably um, not. Yeah, I mean, we could we could apply that to a number of different Indeed. corporations, public or private. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, take a quick break, and we will come back and talk about the new Galaxy Watch Four and Galaxy Watch Four Classic. Stay with us. Hey, Android Central podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick second to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. You know, this podcast would not exist without a really strong domain name. AndroidCentral.com has been around for over a decade. And if you want to start your own business, you need a strong domain name. Hover is a jumping off point for a ton of entrepreneurs, and they want you to start your business with a domain name. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from when building your brand online. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. You'll find excellent technical support available to answer any questions you may have, and their support team doesn't upsell you. They only work hard to help you get online. With free Whois privacy protection, a clean UI, and monthly sales on top-level domains, it's hard not to see why Hover is a popular choice for people starting all kinds of businesses. Hover's UI is super clean. It really is easy to find the perfect domain in just a few seconds. So grab this domain name and many more at hover.com slash ACP. Get a 10% discount with our referral link on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Okay, so we are about an hour into this show and we've only talked about the phones, and that's not surprising, but for a lot of people, and actually we did a poll on the site, a lot of people think that the watches are actually the most exciting products launched during this year's Unpacked. So, and they are correct. Ara, I want to start with you here <laughs> because not only are these, this is the first time Samsung's launched two watches at the same time uh, under the Galaxy Watch branding. It's the first time that uh, we have Wear OS on a Galaxy Watch. It is the first time that 
Samsung has acknowledged Google's existence in the wearable space. We've been waiting for this moment for a very long time. So walk us through exactly what the Watch 4 and Watch 4 Classic give us. All right, so the regular Watch 4 is the successor to the Galaxy Watch Active 2 because I guess they're not going to put Active on the uh, box anymore. And we're getting the Classic because the Classic is the more like traditional style and it's the successor to the Galaxy Watch 3. This is the first watch running Wear OS powered by Samsung with the One uh, one UI Watch UI. Um, I'm very, like, this is the one that I, I... just kept hitting F5 and F5 until it would let me pre-order the watch, like during the presentation, because I wanted to get mine and I wanted to be first, <laughs> um, <laughs> even though I couldn't get the color I wanted. Very sad. Um, but we have the watch. We have the Galaxy Watch 4, which is for regular people who are like, I don't need something big and bulky on my wrist. I want something that's like slim and streamlined, gets me my notifications, gets me my uh, music, uh, music controls or whatever else on my wrist, and then lets me get on with my day. And the classic is for people who are like, oh, I I care a little bit more about the presentation. I care for a little bit more of the premium feel on my wrist, Uh, which means that the Galaxy Watch 4 is $250 and you can shave money off that with uh, trade-ins. And the classic starts at $350. And then you pay an extra $30 if you want the larger of the two sizes for each watch. Which Man, that's a lot of SKUs. That that is a lot of SKUs, especially when you consider that the colors also vary between Every single color of ever, or every single size of every single watch. Makes sense, though. It's a it's a style item, right? It's a fashion item, so you want a lot of choices. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's. I'm I'm very appreciative of how much effort went into the design of this watch. I'm also going to be very interested to like because the the buttons on the side of the watch now are actually like electroplates, so you will put two fingers on them in order for it to measure through the back of uh, through the bottom of the watch and those two plates to get your BMI readings and other uh, caloric or energy readings. Sorry, I I don't do a whole lot of health stuff, but I'm like, okay, that could be interesting. I'm also happy that it's going to, I mean, like what, what we're most happy here is it's a watch with Samsung's hardware, including that new awesome chipset. And it has the Google apps and services like hallelujah, please. (laughs) I I can get Google. I can get my shopping list from Google keep on my wrist again. That was worth 200 bucks right there. All right. So, Nick, let's let's talk about hardware. So you, you've seen both of these. They are strikingly similar externally to their immediate predecessors, as Ara mentioned, the Watch 2 Active and the Watch 3, respectively. Um, but there are a, a couple of slight differences in the designs. So what are we looking at between the Watch 4 and the Watch 4 Classic? So yeah, like you said, they are um, the the predecessors were the I guess the other the active and then your regular style with the turning bezel, right? So you got your rotating bezel on the classic, and then the regular watch four has that same like capacitive touch bezel. The sizes are of course different. The classic is a little chunkier. Uh, I mean, they have to put the rotating bezel on there somewhere. And then, you know, it has that more classic styling. So the other one is more for people who exercise with it and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. then you have the other one is more for, I don't know, maybe just business, whatever. I, I, <laughs> well, watches are hard to, to pinpoint because there are so many different types of people that wear watches for different reasons. So 
you know, to the point before, it's great that they have all these different skews and styles and all that because it, there really are a lot of different ways to use them. Yeah. Uh, I know for me, uh, going between the two, I love the rotating bezel. That's something I've always loved about Samsung's watches. And I love the silicone strap on, I want to call it the active, but don't do that, uh, on, on the regular. That thing is just, it feels so good on your wrist. It's, it's super soft. It's really easy to put on. Um, it was just awesome. And the little locking mechanism they have in there is cool too. So it doesn't fall off you. Well, good news. You can get those wa- uh, those straps for the Classic too because they all use the same strap right. size this time, which is the first time for that too. And thank you, goodness. I only have to look for one size of band whenever I'm looking for something to swap out with the white band that comes with a silver watch. <laughs> white, my yeah. God. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and, and they have the, the two buttons on the side. And like you were saying with the uh, body composition, you actually put two fingers, one on each button, and it, I guess it makes like a complete circuit in your body, and that's how it measures that. I actually didn't realize that was the reason that the buttons were were redesigned because I know in the so the Watch Active Two had one electrocapacitive button, the top one, and then the bottom was just a regular circular button. The Watch Three had two kind of chronometer style buttons on the side. And I preferred the look of those, but I understand why Samsung chose to consolidate the design between the Watch 4 and Watch 4 Classic um, because they both have, both watches, despite their different target markets, have the same sensors. I mean, I guess it's a unified three-in-one sensor, as right. they say, but... It's the same sensor, basically the same hardware platform. And as a result, they can make one watch and just style it differently. So it, it's, um, it saves money for them. Uh, Michael, when you did you have a chance to use the watch at all? No, as a matter of fact, as we've been recording, my review unit just came in outside the booth. So I will be getting into it right after this. So no, I was focused on the phones at the thing. Um, <clears throat> I'm very very excited to see how the new Wear OS platform runs on it because as I look at the spec sheet here, this thing ships with that one and a half gigs of RAM. And uh, while I find spec counting to be very tedious, the simple fact is that in the Wear OS world for the past several years, you had to make sure that your watch had at least half a gig of RAM because Wear OS just wouldn't run well without No, you it. needed one, not half. Uh, you'd be, yeah, well, I'm sorry. You needed more than that. You needed like 768. Um, but yeah, one gig, ideally gig or GTFO. So to see this with one and a half gigs and a new re-engineered platform and on that new five nanometer Silicon, I'm very excited. Samsung watches personally. I mean, I love watches cause they're even more personal than phones. Right. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the new ones from fossil and a bunch of other manufacturers, but um, the Samsung watch does have that one thing that you love, Nick, that that no other manufacturer apparently can do is that active rotating digital bezel, which is just going to be and so much fun. Finally on Wear OS. Oh, I thought you said smooth animations. Oh, yeah. Smooth animations. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's uh, that. Yeah, they're too smooth. I hope. Do, do you know, like, have you gotten many notifications on your watch? Do you know if it still makes you wait for the animation to complete for everyone? Because I hated that. I don't have the watch yet. I'm going to get one tomorrow. Okay. So 
I'm holding out for it. But Nick, let's let's actually walk through this Wear OS experience because you've had the most time of all of us to wear the watch and, and to kind of see what Samsung and Google have put together. This is One UI Watch. It's Wear OS with Samsung's One UI skin on top. As Google mentioned at I.O. this year, they will be allowing manufacturers to modify, visually modify Wear OS for the first time in a major way to align it with its phone, with, with their phone um, skins. And this is obviously a version of that. But it really is Wear OS underneath. So so walk us through that 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 sort of tension between Samsung's visual design and and the underlying Google Wear OS code. Right. So I, I think a lot of the, the interesting thing there starts with the press release where uh, Google is not mentioned very often, <laughs> despite the fact that <laughs> the technical name for the OS is Wear OS 3. The press release says Wear OS powered by Samsung, which I thought was fun. And largely from the, I guess, the front facing experience, it's extremely similar to a current generation Galaxy Watch, right? You turn your bezel, you get the the different tiles that you're used to on a Galaxy Watch. You can also get to there by swiping to the left. On the other side, you get your notifications. If you pull down, you have your quick toggle tiles where you can, you know, do your usual water, uh, water resistance, little toggle, your Bluetooth toggles, all that sort of thing. The, I think, biggest visual difference was swiping up and you get this like Apple Watch style icon grid, which you can rearrange. Now, um, in the hands-on, I wasn't able to find it, but you supposedly are able to change that to a more, I, I would say, practical. Oh, thank heavens. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst list. part of the Apple Watch and everybody copies it. I oh, hate that horrible. stupid app cloud. It's yes, awful. It's terrible. It, it, and especially because so many icons are similar. Like there were several times in our hands-on where Daniel's like, hey, launch this thing. And I'm staring at the icons going, which, oh yeah, it's this icon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, I mean, that's not Samsung's fault. That's because every app developer has no creativity and makes all their apps blue with a checkbox and that's it. <laughs> this app is verified. It, it may not be their fault per se, but knowing that every developer uses similar icons, they, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that shouldn't have been the default look. <laughs> and unless we're just trying to ape the Apple watch, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about it. Whatever. I think you can change it at the very least. You can rearrange the icons. So if you got a bunch of things on there, you don't use most of them, stick the ones you use at the top. You'll be good to go. I mean, I get why they picked that format because that means you can see more apps at a time. You can tap more apps at a time like that's the big that was a big downside of Wear OS's app drawer was like okay I can only see a maximum of like five or six apps at a time so I'm going to be scrolling forever if I have a bunch of apps on my watch right well I mean yeah but then it would auto populate the ones you use most frequently at the top and if you bought a watch with a rotating crown which you should have no uh, you can get through that list in no time and then if you program the pushers like, you don't, I don't know. I don't see, I never had a problem with the long app list. Like the cloud doesn't solve that for me because it's more confusing, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the confusing. I've never liked that design. But I, I mean, as long as they're letting us pick, I'm fine. That's, that's, you know, one of the many great things about Wear OS and Android is if I don't like this thing, I could probably pick another one. Um, Reach. Yes, there you go. Uh, are we going to talk about the limitations yet? Or are we going to come to that? in a bit, Daniel. Go for it. All right. So 
Uh, at the hands-on, there were only a few Google apps pre-installed. Part of the problem was there was no Google account on the watch yet, so we couldn't really go into the Play Store and install things. But there was a conspicuous lack of Google Assistant. Uh, and when we asked Samsung that, they told us, it's coming, don't worry. You know, basically, you only have to deal with Bixby for a while, and then you can get rid of it. <laughs> it's yeah, still that, too long, though. It's It just shouldn't be on there, period. I'm sorry, but, you know, whatever. They've invested a lot into it. They still have to push it for some reason. And, you know, you can switch out a lot of other things, like they have Google Maps in there if you want. Um, you can use Google uh, Google's messaging app. You'll also be able to use Google Pay, but that was another one that wasn't on the watch when we used it. Um, so there are those defaults that you can set in there that should be pretty consistent, you know, across what you would expect from Wear OS. The interesting thing that I found in their press release was that the health sensors only work on a Galaxy phone. So it, it specifically says you have to have a Samsung Galaxy phone and the Samsung health monitor app. Yeah, hmm. I was. I'm really hoping that that's just one of the things that it's like, OK, you have to use these at launch and then we're going to add in the Fitbit apps and whatever else when we add in Google Assistant, because also this is the first device wa launching with this operating system. I'm willing to bet that companies are st like even within Google, they're still trying to re redesign and finish testing and pushing the updates to the apps that we need. And Fitbit had to start from scratch. So I can see right. them being a little bit later to the game. I'm really hoping at least that Google Fit is going to work with this watch. Right. And and I think this probably goes more with release cycles than anything. Like Samsung was the one that was most ready for their release cycle now. So they probably are the one that put the most time into this with Google. So that's why we see such heavy Samsung inspiration in this particular watch release. And, it, you know, our Samsung rec wasn't able to tell us whether they were going to build some of these things out later. But I feel like the fact that he didn't tell me no <laughs> makes me hopeful. Now, <laughs> he, he flat out told us it doesn't work on iOS. I, there was another one where it was like, yeah, we're working on it. It was just, no, it doesn't work. So <laughs> for now, which I don't think is a big deal. Now. No, I mean, how many people buy a Wear OS watch and use it on iOS? Probably none, maybe two. Yeah, I mean, Apple does such an effective job at, if you know, um, <laughs> diminishing the effectiveness at any smartwatch that's not an Apple watch when you connect it to an iPhone that you'd really, unless you're doing some crazy sports tracking with like Polar or Garmin or stuff, I don't, I don't see why people would buy anything but an Apple watch if they own an iPhone. No, it does, just doesn't make sense. The, the platform is not there for it. And I, it, this kind of makes me think both Google and Samsung were just like, you know what? We're not putting resources into that. We're not going to yeah. convince them. It's just not worth it. Right. Okay, so let's, again, take this 10,000-foot view for a second and talk about, I, I guess, the finished product. Is this a better product than a Tizen-based Galaxy Watch 4 would have been or separating the fact that Samsung is now using Wear OS, if we expect a Pixel Watch later this year, which I think a lot of us do. We don't. We'd have seen it linked like 500 times by now if we were going to get a Pixel Watch in October. And they can't launch any later in the year than that, right? We would have seen what? Link? We would we would have seen leaks. We've seen one render for the Pixel. We've seen like one or two renders for the Pixel Watch and that's it. If we were this close to October, we would have seen more things and it hasn't passed through the FCC yet. So the watch ain't coming this year. 
Google is historically bad about keeping leaks at bay. Yeah. Like there, there's no way. This is no not the way. first year that they've. Yeah, this Unlike is not the first year they've announced Samsung. things early. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, there's no way there's exactly. a watch coming in October that they wouldn't have teased with the Pixel 6 line or would have already leaked to high heaven and been through the FCC. There's no way it's coming you this year. you to crush my dreams like that, I'm, I'm sorry, so I'm, but that's part of why this is such I'm an important say, watch. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying that I am fairly confident that a Pixel watch exists and that there is a high percent chance it will launch in the future. I don't see why that wouldn't happen this year, given the massive Wear OS redesign, given the fact that Google is going all in on Pixel this year. It's finally investing in the Pixel. You know, we talked last week about the Pixel 6, uh, you know, announcement for all intents and purposes. Let's work on the assumption that the Pixel Watch is coming. So if it is, and the Pixel Watch launches later this year with uh, the same f- fundamental core OS base, but a different, you know, UI and whatever Pixel, you know, integrations it has. Is this the right move for Samsung? Did Samsung do everything it can to ensure continuity visually between its Samsung phones and its watch and between previous Galaxy watches and the four? while also bringing as many additional features from Wear OS that it could. Is this the best that Samsung could have done? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I tend to think so as the well. The only thing Samsung needed to do was get Google apps and services onto its watch. It did that. Getting anything else from Wear OS is a plus. Getting anything from Google is a plus. They needed those apps and services. The, the two problems with Samsung's watches were apps and notifications. And Wear OS fixes both of those. And we've seen mm-hmm. now with this release or announcement today that they still have a lot of those features locked in their Galaxy ecosystem. So really what they did here was take those two, you know, huge problems and fix them. More recently, also, one of the problems you could point to with the third generation Galaxy watches was also endurance because they decided to shrink the battery in an effort to make the watches smaller. And it seems like the new platform also solves that issue. That's a good point. Yeah, we'll see on that one. (laughs) I'm so so not confident with battery life on smartwatches. I just... So long as it'll last through an entire day and an entire night of sleep tracking and I can throw it on the charger while while I'm in the shower the following morning, I'm fine. I'm so spoiled by my Garmin. It's like, you know, 12 days. It's like, oh, hey, just, (laughs) just to let you know, uh, in about three days, you should put this on a charger. Okay, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, but then you have to use a Garmin. Right. It's a beautiful Garmin, and I'll thank you to respect it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so then then I think we're all in agreement that this was the best product that Samsung could have produced, and I think it speaks to the fact that the negotiations between Samsung and Google that likely went on for months, if not years, to get to this point were the the not only successful, but the correct plan of action for both companies, right? I'll, yeah, I'll even take it a step further. And I think they laid the foundation for a more interesting chapter in wearables going forward, because I bet that part of the reason Google will now acquiesce to manufacturers putting UI layers on top of the new Wear OS platform is because Samsung made that a condition of being a partner. I mean, I've no evidence to support that, but it seems to make sense. And that that's going to be good. I know we all 
You know, but stock, Andra, you need stock. I'm so tired of manufacturers. Play, I know, you know? Like it's All boring, right. guys. We want a little spice. It does. It gets boring. Right. Like, there's so much room for improvement in wearables that we need manufacturer, engineers from, from manufacturers instead of software platforms to bring a little bit of that to it. So, like, I, I'm I'm excited for the next year and a half of this. So, I think this was a win on multiple fronts, in other words. All right. So, we don't really have much more to say about the watches right now because none of us have used them for more than an hour, if that. And we'll have our review in the next couple of weeks. I would say I'm going to review the Watch Classic as soon as I can. So expect that probably by the next time we chat, um, we'll, we'll have a much more fulsome view of, of how Wear OS works on the Watch 4 and 4 Classic. Until then, stay tuned. We're going to take another break and we'll come back and talk quickly about the Buds 2, and whatever other crap happened this week, which uh, is a lot, actually. So we'll be right back. This episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes or less. Enjoy a wide variety of easy, delicious options for all three meals a day, plus every snack and special treat in between with the HelloFresh market. I've been using HelloFresh's meal kits for a while now, and as somebody who really does like to cook, this just makes all of the prep way faster. If I'm looking to get something on the table for me and my family really quickly, there's nothing better than opening up one of these meal kits. So if you're interested in learning more and getting a discount on your first purchase, go to hellofresh.com ACP14 and use code ACP14, that's ACP14, for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's ACP14, and use the code ACP14 for 14 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh.com slash ACP14. Okay, so I want this segment to be fairly brief. Uh, have either, uh, well, I know Nick, you haven't, but Michael, have you used the Buds 2 at all? No, I've, earbuds are not my thing. Near, okay, earbuds are not your thing. So I will I will soliloquy for 30 seconds. The Galaxy Buds 2, they replaced the Buds Plus in Samsung's earbud lineup. They are $150. They are $50 less than the Buds Pro. And they bring a lot of those same features in a smaller, slightly chintzier package. And, and that's unfortunate. The plastic on the case is glossy. It feels a little cheaper. And the earbuds themselves also feel a little uh, cheaper. They are IPX2 rated as opposed to IPX4 on the Buds Pro, which is disappointing because Nick and I were laughing about this. That only allows you to get uh, water on them at a 15% angle, or a uh, 15%, 15 degree angle, which is very awkward. And I don't really understand how that works, uh, but it is not conducive to working out or, or any sort of uh, outdoor activity that might get them wet uh, for prolonged periods of time. However, 
they sound fantastic. These are not the same drivers as in the Buds Pro, but they are very good. They are equalized beautifully out of the box for like deep bass, but not not overpowering. Uh, they're a little bit sibilant in some music, but you can tone that down with some equalization. And the ANC is excellent at this price. $150, you don't typically find active noise canceling of this quality. So that's the upsides. On the downside, the microphones are not good. They are not as bad as the first and second generation Galaxy Buds, but they are not great compared to the Buds Pro. And they're not not great at all compared to the AirPods. So if you make a lot of phone calls or you need to use the ambient sound mode, which like uses the microphones to bring in noise from the outside, this is not a pair of earbuds for you. You should go with the AirPods. You should go with the Galaxy Buds Pro or the Jabra Elite 65 or 75T, something like that, that have much better quality microphones. But if your primary use case here is comfort and listening to music or podcasts, you'll be very happy with these. They are extremely comfortable and uh, the battery's good. It's about seven and a half to eight hours for when, um, when ANC's off and about five hours with ANC on. So I gave them a four out of five. I think they're excellent products. And uh, honestly, if you're buying a Galaxy phone, you're probably getting them for free anyway. So you won't be disappointed either way. That is my Galaxy Buds 2 review. And they come in purple. Yes. And they come in lavender. Lavender, Michael. Pardon me. Pardon let's, me. Let's be La- correct here. <laughs> and uh, what was the other one? Olive green. Um, I don't Ugh. like the olive. I don't Ugh. like the color olives. Color is just not because- too close to like earwax color to be pleasant for an earbud. Yeah, or baby food. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'll give Samsung this. They picked terrible colors this year, but they were pretty consistent. They're, they're pretty consistently terrible across a bunch of these products. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can find all of these devices the first in a time bowl Samsung's of lentil soup near you. Yeah. <laughs> um, the funny part is that Nick and I were joking that like the, the olive seems to be the color, the it color of the summer for some for products, but Google actually did olive a lot better with the Galaxy or the um, Pixel Six Pixel Buds A series. Oh. They're a lot darker. They're dual tone. They just have. They're just. They're just cooler. They're just a funkier color. I really prefer those. Um, but those don't have ANC, so. You're, you're going to do well by these earbuds. I, I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed in them. All right, let's talk quickly before we end about the new uh, Android 12 beta that dropped today as we're recording. It's the platform release candidate. So it's basically like it's, it's the last one that they're going to release before the gold beta version that's going to happen next month. Or it actually could happen later this month. That uh, What this means is that They've reached platform stability. All the APIs are final. Developers can now submit their apps to the Play Store that use these Android 12 APIs. And users can start testing these apps outside of kind of sideloading APKs because they're allowed to be uploaded to the Play Store. So you may be seeing some app developers testing versions of um, of their apps that support some of the new Android 12 features, which will be cool. However, uh, Nick... You know, Alex was talking about this earlier today as well. This is not a user-stable version yet. It is very, very unstable. It's actually the the least stable beta 4 that we've seen, I think, ever on an Android version. And there are still some really weird visual quirks that should have been solved by now because there's only one more beta before the final release. Right. But 
other than that, I, I think we're well on our way to getting Android 12 out the door. Yeah, it's I mean, I've had it on this thing for an hour and 20 minutes now, according to the uptime, which, you know, I'll have to use a little more than that to to form better on the thoughts. four X on, on the four XL, four XL. Correct. On the, not the five. Right. Um, and I mean, as, as I told and showed you several times during our trip, my gosh, beta three was unstable. That's <laughs> just nah, not a daily driver recommendation at all. So, I mean, any improvement is an improvement over that. Yeah. But like you said, it's probably not going to be user facing yet. It, that may have to wait until the, I guess, release candidate one, whatever they call it. Well, this was the release candidate, like beta force, the release candidate. And it's like iron out like the last little things. And I'm like, y'all still have a lot of things that need fixing here. Like the last time we saw a version of Android that was this broken was when they did the gesture navigation. Oh, hang on a second. I want to back up. Can we talk about the fact that Samsung still ships its phones without gesture navigation yeah. on by default? I couldn't work the review device as well as filming. I kept trying to swipe and I was like, oh, right. The freaking what, buttons. Like, what's happening there? It's 2021. <laughs> now, now, granted, when I logged into the Fold 3 and it synced all my stuff, it did sync the gesture nav. So I didn't have to do anything. Yeah, but if you install it from scratch, right? I know it was. Buttons. You have to manually enable gestures, <laughs> yes. and many people may not know that's a feature. Probably not, which is terrible on a phone with a giant screen like this. Yes. I don't know. It, it makes no sense. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Anyway, sorry. Sidebar, but um, yeah, I just I thought that was incredible. Yeah, so Android twelve beta four, it's out. Go download it if you're interested. Uh, you should be safe by now. Like it's it's fine. It won't crash your phone anymore. But uh, let us know if you have any issues with it. Let us know how you like it. All right. Anything else happening in the world that you guys want to talk about? Mm. Probably. I, there's, I'm not allowed to talk about one thing. And then there's like two other things that are coming on the back of that. It's going to be a busy oh, late us, summer, Michael. man. It's it's a, a, none of it's as exciting as what August. dropped today, FYI. But it is a busy yes, August. It yeah. is. I enjoyed watching y'all's Slack channel just explode yesterday. Where it was kind of started off the morning like, well, it's going to be a busy day, but it's going to be all right. And then just things kept piling on and yep. people's heads just kept exploding. I'm like, yep, that's that's the kind of week this is. Very busy. Yeah, Google Google's doing a lot this week. Uh, some stuff around Google Assistant has been updated specifically around back to school and families, which is neat. We have a, an article on our on our site going through all of that. Uh, but I like this one in particular. There's a the, uh, Google has launched an interactive periodic table for students, which is really really cool. So if you go to uh, art experiments with dot with google.com slash periodic table or just look up interactive periodic table um, you can click on the individual elements and you get a 3d uh, view of each molecule which is super super cool along with like the atomic mass and the melting point and the boiling point and the year of discovery and like a little um, a little description of each one so it's really neat and you could see this on if you look at it on a phone, if you click on the 3D molecule, it becomes one of those AR molecules, mm. and then you can see it in your space, like floating around. So I can, you know, touch selenium if I want, or uh, have my have my way with antimony, or uh, or, or eat some lead if I if I really desired uh, without getting sick. So yeah, this is a really neat little feature that uh, Google launched today. And uh, as a as a chemistry nerd growing up, I really really like this. So check it out. 
All right, so we're going to take another break and we're going to come back and talk about what's making us happy this week. So uh, stick around. This episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by NordVPN. If you've ever traveled or are looking forward to travel again in the future, you probably need a VPN to protect your internet traffic from insecure and potentially malicious networks. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and it encrypts all of your traffic. You can place yourself virtually in almost any country in the world. You can get around geo-restrictions. You can encrypt your data at places like airports or restaurants. And you really don't need to worry about your traffic being slowed down by an intermediary like a VPN because NordVPN is just that fast. If you have a NordVPN account, you can get up to six devices online at the same time. There's really no difference in slowdown at all. It's an important tool in your internet tool belt that you may not need all the time, but when you do need it, it's invaluable. I'm traveling for the first time in almost a year and a half next week, and I'm absolutely going to use NordVPN to get me connected securely. And if you want to give NordVPN a try yourself, you can go to nordvpn.com ACP and use code ACP to get a two-year plan plus a bonus gift at a huge discount right now. That's nordvpn.com ACP to get a two-year plan, a bonus gift, and a huge discount. I really think you should try it yourself. Okay, so it's my favorite part of the show. It's where we end with something happy. And uh, I'm going to start with you, Ara, because you are you are reliable when it comes to what's making us happy. What is making us happy? What is making you happy uh, this week? Well, I got I got to think of one I can actually talk about because I'm with Fisher. I've, I've got one thing that's making me happy that I don't think I can talk about yet. And then... <laughs> Uh, I know. I now I understand what what Michael was saying. But yeah, sorry. No, you can't. You can't break any embargoes on this show. Alrighty. Well, um, other than that, what's making me happy? Rain, thunderstorms are making me happy. We need more of them down here, and we might get more of them. It might pour all weekend, which I shouldn't be happy about because that means that my parents and I would be stuck in the apartment. But hey, things happen. Your parents are visiting you too. That's, yeah, that's they're a, at Epcot right now. I should nice figure thing. out where they're where they're at because my mom shared her location with Go- in Google Maps. So let's see, where are they? Maps. All right. Well, I mean, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't come prepared. Maybe uh, you know, do your homework next time as as your as your teacher. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you a B minus on that one, but I appreciate it. We've been kind of busy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> No, you always ha- you always come prepared with what's making us happy. All right, Nick, what's making you happy this week? I got to go to New York City, <laughs> which I haven't <laughs> been to in three years. So, you know, that was fantastic. And it wasn't like a 20 hour trip either, which I've done more than I would like to, because those just are not fun. Um, I don't know. It, it was just it was great being in New York and I get to go again in a week. But I can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> man there's a lot of stuff coming up this month i uh i appreciate that all right well i i i was there with you so i appreciate you saying that because uh I, I was a part of your adventure um 
Michael, what's making you happy this week? You know, it's uh, a, a brutal realization how long it took me to dig deep enough to find something making me happy this week. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, no, it's fine. Uh, and, and, and it's even sadder because the thing that's making me happy this week, I've come to realize over the past four minutes, is a bar. There's a place called the Grand Republic Cocktail Club uh, in my neighborhood of Brooklyn, and it is decorated with 200-year-old U.S. Navy paraphernalia. The bar is sticky. The bartender's friendly, but they don't talk too much. And you can get a wonderful cocktail, a great Greenport Harbor Brewing Company beer, and or an empanada and a chili, a Chilean hot dog. And um, I've had the fine opportunity to test this place with neighbors and foreign friends alike. And we all agree, it's the best. This that podcast is sponsored phenomenal. by the Grand Republic. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's just my favorite. I, I'm just happy that I found a bar. It took me two years and one pandemic since moving here to find a place I'm really comfortable with. So I look forward to coming on the podcast again in two months and telling you that sadly it didn't survive because that's just the way things have been going. But for now, yeah. no, I, 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 I love that. it. Sorry. <laughs> I am genuinely happy about it, though. So come, come visit me there, all of you on this show with me. Well, well, I, it, that, where is it? It's in Brooklyn? It is. Okay. Yeah. That's, that sounds that's too cool easy enough. I, I might. I might <laughs> stop by. Please do. You, are, you have a standing invitation. I look forward to seeing you in a little bit of time. There you go. Well, what's making me happy this week, uh, along those lines, New York City, I got to see a bunch of people that I hadn't seen since February 2020, which was the last trip I took. Um, I got to see Andrew, our former senior editor. I got to see Hayato, our former former videographer. I got to see uh, Nirav Gandia, who uh, used to work with but not for Android Central, who's now over at XDA. I got to see David Ruddick and Ryan Hager of Android Police and David Kogan of The Unlocker. I got to see you, Michael, and Nick. Yes. Uh, in person, I got to see my bud, Chris Velasco, who I hadn't seen in far too long. Um, I got to see my friends, and that was so invigorating. It was one of those, you know that you miss people. You know that the lack is there in your soul, and you're aware of it, you're aware of the whole, but until you fill it, until you see and you hug your friends because we're all vaccinated and we can all do that, mm. it really does not, the power doesn't make itself known until it actually happens. And, you know, I was dreading the trip because the travel part of going to New York meant I needed to get three COVID tests within two days. I needed to deal with much longer lines at the airport. I needed to deal with angry travelers who didn't want to wear masks. I needed to deal with all of the shit that comes with travel. But when I got to New York and I got to that restaurant and I got to those hugs, it was the best thing in the world. I really can't say it any other way. It was just affirming. Hmm. And I, I just mean it so sincerely when I say that vaccines made this happen. I know it's a trite thing to say, but it's true. And this is my plea to you if that you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, please do because things are getting bad again. They may close the border again. They may not allow you to go to bars indoors without masks again. They may 
do all these things again. I mean, again. they may not let you go to bars, period, because if you go to a bar, the first thing you're doing is taking off a mask and drinking. Yeah. So vaccines allowed me to get to see my friends again. It allowed me to do all these great things in New York with Nick and with Michael. And uh, yeah, that's what made me happy this week. So, Amen, dude. That's beautiful. Well said. And yeah, I, I, I agree. I was going to say that um, getting together with old friends thing and being able to do that still in the face of an oncoming, maybe additional change. But I figured that was going to be what you went with and you said it better than I could. So agreed. And it was great seeing you too. Well, thank you. That's our show for the week. You can find me at Journey Dan. You can find Ara at Ara Wagco. You can find Nick at Guanatu. You can find Michael at his new Twitter handle, new old Twitter handle, Captain Two Phones. <laughs> um, you can find all of us at Android Central. We will be back next week with lots more from Unpacked and a couple of uh, new products that we uh, hinted at but can't talk about yet. So stay tuned for that. Until then, thanks for listening. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Stay mobile, my friends. <laughs>